Well, good morning, church. If you have your scriptures with you, please turn uh, to Matthew 9 uh, with me. Uh, today I would like to talk about the power of the plate. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but I believe this is um, a, a very, very powerful tool. Not just when you're in a fight and you throw it. All right? But this uh, can be a very, very powerful tool. Uh, for me, I was first exposed to the power of the plate when I was, oh, around first or second grade. Um, I lived in a community, its name was Isabel, it was up on the Cheyenne River Indian Reservation, and we were probably, our community was probably somewhat like 40% native and uh, 60% white, and uh, what we used to do when we were younger is we used to build forts in old abandoned lots, especially like if they had like a little shed behind their house and stuff, right? Well, then we used to have these fights over whose territory that fort was. And when we were younger, it's just how it goes. Have you ever noticed that people can find a way to not like each other? It's just like we got to kind of look around and say, you be them, we'll be this, and we'll not like each other. Um, well, when I was younger, how we split it was white versus native, all right? Yeah, exactly. Kind of like, whoa. Um, and so we would build these forts, and then we would have these amazing fights to either keep the fort or to take the fort from the other group. And uh, so this went on for uh, like a whole summer, one summer, and it kept escalating. So at first it kind of went from like, you, you know, a little pushing and shoving to then like real fights to then like sabotaging the forts and destroying them when you couldn't. And it kind of kept escalating and escalating and escalating. And one day my friend Joe had his birthday party. All right. So he had his birthday party, and so all of us friends were invited into town, and we were there for the day. So what did we do, of course, with our spare time? We went to our fort, we protected it, we worked on it, we did everything we needed to do. And then here came some other kids our age, some of the native kids, and we had ourselves a little brawl, right, for the fort. I mean, it was like an all-day brawl. Well, we knew at lunch we had to go back to Joe's house for whatever his mom was going to cook for us and lunch and all that, and that's when the birthday cake was going to happen. And so we show up for birthday cake, and Pam invited all the people who were sabotaging our fort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're like, you, you, you've been fighting all day, and you've been going after it all day, and Pam decides to walk across the street and invite all the kids that we've been fighting, all the people that we've been going after, and so she invites them over, and we have a meal together, and we share birthday cake together, and you know what? Something strange happened. In a matter of about 45 minutes, we became friends. Because we talked to each other, we visited with each other. And, and um, one of my best friends throughout elementary school, middle school, high school was because we had birthday cake together. Because of a plate, his name was Lance Brown Otter. You know, it's amazing sometimes the power of the plate. But sometimes sitting at, around a table, having a meal, having coffee together can do. And for the next couple uh, gatherings that we have, for the next few gatherings, um, we just kind of thought that it would be wise to talk about what does it mean to be church. Um, and so like we talked about last week, the church is not a building. The church is a bunch of people who have the audacity to gather together. 
whether it's at home or working out together, um, whether it's at work, they have the audacity to gather together and put themselves in the same place and to believe that the Holy Spirit will show up. I mean, that's how the church got started, is a group of people gathering together with the audacity that the church will show up. Today we want to talk about hospitality. And we think that being a church or being church, that a big emphasis of that should be hospitality. And we want to talk about the power of the plate. And I want to share the story with you. Matthew 9, starting with verse 9. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Pause for just a minute. Tax collectors, all right? This guy, number one, had a Hebrew name, meaning that kind of by where he grew up, he grew up a Jewish person. Or you could say if, in these days, if we we're talking religion, he grew up in the church, okay? And um, in this day, there's a lot of conflict between the Jewish people and the Roman government, all right? And any good government that's going to exist has to have income. How a government typically gets that income is through taxes. The Roman government is in opposition with the Jewish people, or at, at bare minimum, you could say the Jewish people are in opposition with the Roman government. They do not like the Roman government. The Roman government oppresses them. The Roman government does things that they think they shouldn't be able to do. So when you're a tax collector, it's not just that you're not really being a, a good member of your community. You've actually joined the other team. So here you got somebody who was part of the Jewish community that he's getting his money, he's making his money, he has his career, not just by kind of forgetting who he was and kind of ditching his Hebrew faith or his Jewish faith, but he's actually on the side of the other team. Now the interesting thing back in these days is the other team was pretty, pretty smart on how to get tax collectors to collect taxes. Um, it was pretty simple. If you were Rome, if you were the government, it went like this. We need this percentage or this amount of taxes from people. So you might say, we need $100 from every person. You can collect as much as you want and keep the rest. So you can squeeze as much as you want out of people and keep the rest, but we need a certain amount. That's what we're going to hold you accountable to. So not only was the tax collector working for the other team, he was totally hosing you and making money off of you in any possible form and fashion he could. So that sets the story up. And along comes Jesus, a guy who claims to be a rabbi, who claims to be the Messiah, the one, the person that the Jewish people were waiting for. Jesus went from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Jesus calls him to follow me to be a part of this movement, this thing that's happening. He told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. 
So let's look at this story for a minute. Um, any of you guys football fans? Anybody football fans out there? All right, it was a sad day in football yesterday. Let's take a moment of silence. Um, but we have four major characters in this story, do we not? We have Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, flesh and blood. We have, um, a, we have tax collectors, or, and so we have buddies of Matthew that are tax collectors. Um, we have Matthew, and then we just have general sinners, okay? And these people, the story's pretty simple. Jesus comes along to Matthew. He sees Matthew, who's this despicable, hated tax collector. He asks him to be a part of his team, and then he actually goes to Matthew's house, and he has supper. And this frustrates and irritates the Pharisees. All right? This frustrates and irritates what would be the leaders of the church at this time. This frustrates and irritates the people who are supposed to make sure that God's people are living and being the people that they're supposed to be. And you've got to wonder, what could be so incredibly frustrating about inviting somebody to lunch? Or more, probably more realistic, accepting an invitation is what Jesus did to go have lunch with somebody. Why would that be a bad thing? Well, in this day and age, when you went and you sat at a table with somebody, when you sat in their home, and when you had lunch with them, you identified with them. You included them as okay. It was very significant with what you said. And if you were a good Jewish person at this time, you were still waiting for the Messiah to come and you really believed that how you get the Messiah to come is to remain really holy, to make sure you were doing everything really well and to make sure that everybody else was doing everything really well. And as a good Jewish person, you did not want to be identified or, or you did not want people to think it was okay and feel like they were accepted if they had behaviors that did not follow the law. And if you sat at a table with them, if you had fellowship with them, you were communicating one of two things. Either you were one of them, or they were one of you. Both of which, for a good, amazing, religious person of that day, was unacceptable. For a tax collector, for Matthew, for his buddy tax collectors, or for just general sinners, for, for a Jewish person to say, hey, I'm one of you, or on the vice versa, for a Jewish person to say, you're one of us. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. And Jesus does it. But I want to show you something here. So, um, I need some people that will help me with an illustration. Um, I won't embarrass you, I promise you. Okay? I promise. No embarrassment in this. Um, let me put this. So we have these characters. I want to find some characters. Do we have any Green Bay Packer fans in the room? A few? All right, I need one Green Bay Packer fan. Can I get one of you? Can I get a McBrayer? Come on up. All right, let's give him a big round of applause. This is Matthew, okay? Everybody say hi, Matthew. All right, so Matthew comes on over. Why don't you come on over and, and join the table here? And uh, so Matthew is one of the guests that's at our table. 
okay? Well, you know, we know Green Bay has its issues, <laughs> all right? But, you know, still, he, he's at the table. He's included. Well, number one, it's his house. He's kind of at the table. So he's one of the characters we have. Um, now, do we have, um, let's see, I better get just another tax collector. So do we have any, um, let's see, what fans do we have in here? You're a fan of some team. Saints. <laughs> yeah, the fake saints here, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's a tax collector, all right? Not, you know, probably not a whole lot of animosity, well, there's not a whole lot of animosity between you guys, you know, but not the best of kind of people you want at the table, right? And so we have a tax collector. He gets invited to the table. Why don't you come on in? Great to have you. Here, so he gets invited to the table. Um, you know, now it's interesting when you're sitting at a table, they probably won't do it because they'll feel rude. Like, you just start talking, don't you? I mean, at first, because it's just plain awkward to sit there and stare at each other. You know, so you find something to say. I mean, you might, you might, if you're a couple men, you might just start with the football thing, right? Pretty good games yesterday, huh? Or you might start with, what do you do? Or something like that. Well, now we need sinners. Now, sinners here is just a word for basically riffraff. We're not exactly sure what sinners are there, but I mean, it was kind of a general word used for riffraff. It could be um, prostitutes, it could be thieves, it could be, these are just kind of the riffraff, they're the ones, these are the houses you don't let your kids go over to, right? You know, your kid comes and says, can I spend the night at Johnny's house? Why don't we have Johnny come over to our house? All right? So these, this is the riffraff, just generally bad, okay? Correct. I need a Vikings fan. I need a Vikings fan. All right, here we go. Here you go, yep. Just the general riffraff there. Yep. Okay. Now we need a Broncos fan. Any Broncos fans besides myself? Because we need Jesus. Any Broncos fans? No? She's a Bronco fan. You don't want to come up though? All right. That's understandable. Look who you got to affiliate with. <laughs> All right. All right. Just anybody that volunteer in general. Anybody that volunteer in general? If not, I'm going to call out some of you. would volunteer? All right. So you're going to be Jesus for us. All right. <laughs> so he comes to the table. And um, they have a meal. All right, here's this. Oh, I need to get you guys some cups. Let me get you some cups. You know, you, it's funny when you start sitting around a table, though, you can start talking to each other, start learning about each other. You might ask some questions. You brought your own coffee, fine. That's a little offensive, but um, if you need something to drink, there's some drink in here. I don't know what it is, but I found it in the fridge, so <laughs> it should be really good. And... Um, you know, I don't know, I mean, it is nice to go to somebody's house and have a really sweet meal, right? But I don't know if I've ever really gone to somebody's house, and even if I didn't like the meal, 
I've been able to kind of pretend or move the food around and I've enjoyed the experience. You know what I mean? I've enjoyed sitting around the table and it's amazing some of the friendships that I've created because they've invited me over for supper or we've invited them over for supper and we've got to know each other. Um, there's an acceptance that happens, especially at the ancient table. <clears throat> Today I made a very special meal for you. Ooh, donuts. So um, why don't you guys go ahead and help yourself to a meal. Now, there's one character, there's one character in the story that's missing. What character in the story is missing? Well, no, we have Jesus. We have Matthew. His so-so tax collector buddy, riffraff, and Jesus. Sinners are that. Who are we missing in this story? What's that? The Pharisee. Now, I have an interesting question about this story. The Pharisee believes that he is the keeper of who's in and who's out. He gets to decide. Now, don't get me wrong, I think he's sincere about it. I think this is a guy that loves God, has studied the scriptures. There's some people that even believe Jesus was, um, would have been able to be considered a Pharisee just because he could have these arguments with them, that they were arguing and debating with him, and he was kind of like a bad Pharisee. Yeah, because the Pharisees were kind of like the common man's preacher, all right? They were like the local pastor kind of sort of type of people. And so I, I think this Pharisee was well-intended, but who's not at the table? The Pharisee. I find it interesting sometimes, and this is interesting to know when we talk about fellowship, sometimes we live a world where we are constantly deciding who's in and who's out. And sometimes, as being part of the religious world, we're taught to consider Who's in and who's out? Who belongs and who doesn't belong? And even we even believe some people can belong once they get it turned around and get it fixed, right? Then they can come to the table with us. Then they can come sit with us. Then they can come be a part of us. But it's very interesting that the person who gets left out, we'll go to this slide next, just leave this up. It's very interesting to this question, when we ask who really ends up being left out, it's who? Who's not at the table? Who's not at the table? The Pharisee. The religious person. Person who knows the scriptures can argue them well. The person who's highly convinced that he knows who belongs and who doesn't belong and why. Now, when you put Jesus at the table, you put God in flesh and blood at the table. It seems like God in flesh and blood seems to gravitate towards almost everybody. I would also contend that the Pharisee probably wasn't um, turned away from the table. I wonder if there was a spot sitting, sitting there for the Pharisee. I wonder if there was a spot at the table where everybody around the table said, Hey, do you want to join us? Uh-uh. And the interesting thing is, is the guy who determined who was in and out 
ends up being the one that's out, doesn't he? And he misses out on sitting and being in the presence of God. Because see, God comes in flesh and blood and he sits at the table with tax collectors, with sinners, with riffraff. I believe he sits at the table with Pharisees. But in his own judgmentalness, in his own unwillingness to come and to have the fellowship, the Pharisee gets left out. So, let's give these guys a big round of applause. You can take a donut with you, give it away to your wife. All right. So here's the first thing I want to just show with this story. Sometimes when we refuse hospitality, when we refuse to give it, or when we refuse to participate in it, sometimes we think we're very dignified in that, we're very righteous in that, that somehow we're much closer to God, or in our case, that we're much closer to Jesus in that. But often, when we're refusing that hospitality, or when we're refusing to give that hospitality, we're the ones that aren't at the table. We're the ones that are losing out. We're the ones that are losing out on an experience that God might just come and enter. And this kind of goes back to what we believe the church is. A group of people who have the audacity to think that the Holy Spirit will show up when they gather. You see, when we refuse hospitality, when we don't practice hospitality, when we don't participate in hospitality, we might miss out on the gathering part. We might miss out on that place where the Holy Spirit shows up. Not because we sang the right songs, but because somebody asked a question. Or because someone told funny stories all night and we haven't laughed for a long time and God just brought medicine to our soul. Or because we ended up leaving that dinner table or that lunch table or that time with people with a new friend or a new perspective. You see, when we refuse hospitality, whatever the reason, whether it's because we're too righteous, we're too busy, we're too broke, we're too whatever, we might be the ones missing out. We might be the ones missing out on God showing up in flesh and blood and hanging out with us. Now, later, this idea of sitting at the table, they do, they do start to use a word for it. And so later in the Scriptures, after the time of Jesus, during the time of Paul and during the time of the first church, they begin to use this word, hospitality. Now, typically when I used to think of hospitality, I thought of like whoever was the nicest person, and there is a sense of that in this word. Sometimes the particular Greek word, like the person who welcomes you, you know, like you go to the get your oil changed and the lady that brings you a fresh cookie. You know what I'm talking about? I always used to think of that as hospitality. But the Greek word that's primarily used in hospitality typically has one of these two meanings to it. One of the meanings is to receive a stranger as a guest. The idiom for this one, or the idiom that people would use in this day and age when they talked about hospitality would be this. 
would be to let a stranger sit at one's table or to offer your bed or a bedroom or a place to stay to a stranger. So hospitality basically had this deeper, more intense meaning than just making sure people felt comfortable. Of course, it started there, right? That was an important part of it, making sure that people felt comfortable. But if you go um, into the Scriptures and if you go in further into New Testament, start talking about how... I want to read this last one here. Go back one slide. Start talking about hospitality. The other thing it says is literally to wash the feet of someone or to perform humble duties on behalf of someone. When you see hospitality... It's a deeper kind of thing, kind of like what Jesus was doing in the New Testament. It's an uncomfortable, there's an acceptance to it, there's a bringing into it, there's going beyond just saying hi and making people feel comfortable. I mean, washing somebody's feet, this was more common in that day and age, but it was still intimate. It was still uncomfortable. It was still very personal. It was still very humble. And so one of the things we'd see, first of all, when we read the story in Matthew, is that God himself practices hospitality. He brings people to the table in an intimate setting. He fellowships with them. He has relationships with them. And the people that tend to get left out are the people that think it's their job to decide who's in and who's out. But I want to show you a couple places where we see hospitality in rest of the New Testament. Next slide. Romans 12. This is kind of an incredible scripture because just before this, Paul gets done talking about the body of Christ and the body being a living sacrifice. And then um, a lot of times in people's Bibles in Romans 12, it's, um, it's, talk, it's a lot of times titled, Love in Action. And one of our theological beliefs is that God is love. So anytime you see love, genuine, authentic love happening, that that's, that's God. God is love. So love in action. What God should look like. What His body should look like. Which is also called the church. His gathering of people. Um, love in action. And it starts out with this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It must be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And practice hospitality. Now, Put yourself in Paul's shoes. When he's sharing this stuff, or when he's writing a letter to a church, what he's saying is, I can't, he's probably not saying, I'm not going to tell you everything. I can't get you filled in on every single thing you're supposed to do. So he's probably going to take time to highlight the biggies, the stuff that really matters. For Paul, when he talks to the church and when he writes a letter to the church in Rome, one of the big things he wants them to know, one of the biggies for him is, I need you to practice hospitality. I need you to bring people to the table. I need you to spare a room or a couch for them. I need you to spare 45 minutes to have coffee with them. 
I need you to rearrange your schedule to maybe go out and uh, shoot some hoops with them and visit with them. I need you to practice hospitality. If this thing is going to go, if this church is really going to be what Jesus wanted it to be, if we're really going to look like the body of Christ, if we're going to put flesh and blood on what Jesus was doing, we have to get people to the table. We have to practice hospitality. It's a biggie. Next one. You also find it in Hebrews. They found it in many other places. If you go to BibleGateway.com, you can do a word search. You can see hospitality and all kinds of things. Often, actually, Paul uses hospitality thanking people. Thank you because I came to your town and you brought me to the table. You took care of me. And it says this, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by, doing, for, by doing, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Keep on showing hospitality to people you don't know, maybe even people you don't get, maybe even people that make you a little nervous. Maybe even people that totally irritate you. Because you know what? You might just be showing hospitality to angels without even knowing it. In other words, there might be something more powerful, more significant going on than you could ever understand. I'll be honest with you. I don't think when Pam Locken invited all the neighborhood boys over for cake. I don't think she knew we were fighting. She was just being nice. Hey, they're all kind of the same age. We should get them all together. You know? But something more significant that was, was going on there. I mean, a real important lesson for a, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old. Take a little time to get to know somebody. Don't pick your teams too quickly. You know, when we practice hospitality, sometimes it might seem lame, it might seem awkward, it might seem time-consuming, but we never know what is happening in that moment. It may be more significant than we could ever imagine. You know, my, uh, my dad, I think, is an expert at practicing hospitality. If you want to have lunch with somebody who is awkward, you should come to our house. <laughs> it's just the way it was. But I, I also think of when people are in huge, huge um, dilemmas, when life has really gone bad, most of them don't go to the pastors in our local towns. Most of them don't go to the counselors. Most of them don't go to the guys who have done a really good job of being religious and helping people know who's in and out. I'll be just real flat honest with you. They go to my dad. And he's kind of like Duck Dynasty on steroids. He really is. I mean, just like, like he, doesn't, he doesn't have the, you know... And, and a lot of that is because my dad practices hospitality 
I mean, since I was a young kid, we had strange people showing up. We had people that you weren't supposed to be, uh, be around showing up at our house all the time, being brought to the table. I told you the story about when I graduated from high school, Roland Brown Otter. Most significant gift I ever got is when the town drunk brought me $10 for my graduation gift in a card. Not because of me, but because my father practices hospitality. And he knew I was important to my dad. And so he did everything he can. He didn't go get a pint that day. He did everything he could. Because something significant happened just that my dad kind of brought him in. That if he showed up to our house, he'd get asked to come in. Instead of just met at the door. You know, when we practice hospitality... Something might be going on that is highly significant that you and I will never, ever know. But we practice hospitality because we believe that the church is when we get more than one person together who could and is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We get them together and we have the audacity to believe that whatever's going on in that moment, the Holy Spirit might be able to show up and do something amazing. Think of some of you when you met your best friend. Some of you it might have been at church, but some of you it might have been because you played a sport together. And there was a certain level of hospitality that went on. Some of you might have been because you got in trouble together. Who knows what it is? But I, I, I guarantee you it was probably a time when you showed some hospitality. When you took some time to be with people. To invite them in. To share some real and genuine time with them. Next slide, please. So, looks good, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's all go to that buffet. Um, one of, the, one of the most interesting things is this is a powerful tool. But here's what I, I hear often. I shouldn't say I hear it. Here's what I say or think to myself often. You know, I've thought like, wow, we should, we should really go spend some time with or we should have somebody over because sometimes I can think my life's too busy. But I often say, I would but my plate's too... <laughs> it's like this, it's like on one hand, the plate is this powerful, powerful tool, right? If you have people over and you sit at the table with them and, and, and things. But on the other hand, metaphorically, it's like the plate is kind of the excuse, right? It's too full. Ah, my plate's too full. Ah, my, ah, my plate's too full. Well, I guess... I would ask, do you need so much on it? Or can you take your fork and just push some of it over and make a little room for something else? Um, because if your plate is too full for hospitality, if our plate as Christ followers, as a church, is too full for hospitality, we might be missing out on something significant. Now, something I caution you with. It is pretty easy to take this teaching and go, huh, so-and-so never invites me to anything. 
We never, no, 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 no. The church never, no, 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 no. Right? But the call to hospitality falls on me. It falls on you. It falls on us. If we have a problem or a desire to be more hospitable, it's up to us to make some room on our plate. It's up to us to invite somebody. It's up to us to spend some time with somebody. Does that make sense? Now, I hope and pray somebody is making some time for you at the same time. But this is really a challenge and a call for us. Next slide. So, I want to give you a few ideas for making some room. And, and I'm not often do I tell you or give you an assignment or a task to go do. But when we're talking about being the church, I'm a little more comfortable giving you a challenge or a task. My challenge or task to you would be this. In the next month, I want you to find a way to practice purposeful hospitality. Let me give you some ideas, can I? Because I realize that we're all at different levels of personality and all those sort of things. So I'm going to give some like easy ones and I'm going to give some more like difficult ones. Okay? Easy one. If you attend this church, all right, if you attend this church, this is the easiest one, that you would have a conversation and acknowledge somebody you don't know sometime in the next month, if you attend this church. That could be a visitor. One of the things I would love is that we realize when a visitor comes into our midst that we go, I want to make sure they're welcome at the table. I want to make sure they're comfortable. I'm going to take a little time, a little less time to visit with this person who I love to visit with because we're kind of already at the table together. I'm going to spend a little time and I'm just going to go over. I'm going to make them welcome, make them comfortable. I think that's kind of like a, like a let, let, let this building be a place to practice hospitality, okay? But I'm, I'm not using this message to make sure we're this highly welcoming place. I want us to really, really, really practice hospitality. Here's the next thing. This one's a little bit more of a risk. Somebody that you already know that maybe goes to this church, somebody that you already know, you've even had some conversation and you've even kind of said, I kind of like that person. All right? Consider inviting them out. This is just an individual thing now. Consider inviting them out for coffee. Right? Not a whole lot of work or, you know, juice stop, whatever you do. If you, if you found out you had a common interest, consider just inviting them to something and getting to know them more. Um, you don't have to do a Bible study or anything, okay? If you don't even say Jesus while you're talking, that's okay. Just, just do it, all right? Just try it. The next thing is a little bit more a little bit more because it takes some work and it, it's a little bit more intimate. The next thing is to invite a family or a couple or an individual from this church to your home and have supper. You know, that takes some scheduling, some time, some awkward. Until you get to know each other moments, right? But consider making some time. It could be something, somebody you, you know fairly well, but you just never sat at a table with each other. 
and you think it'd be fun. It could be somebody you're just starting to know, or you could just say, I'm just going to invite somebody. I haven't had hardly any conversations with them. So that would kind of be the next level. The next one I'm going to tell you about is just even a little bit more difficult, and it doesn't involve us at all as far as with each other. Consider looking around your work or your daily life and identifying somebody that you have some contact with, you have somewhat of a connection with, but you have this sense that they're an outsider. You have this sense that they don't have, you know, they might not have family, they might not have a significant amount of friends, um, you know, they might just be plain weird. All right? And, and, and so this would kind of be like the, the advanced class. All right? And so the other thing you could do is consider looking around for that and just saying, hey, um, John, did I get your name right? I think you're John, right? Uh, no, you know, it might be that kind of person, but you know them, you have some connection with them, but it might be just business at this point. And consider asking them over to your house. Invite them over for supper. That's really hard. I get that. That's really, really hard. But we, we have several levels we can try, right? Okay. Here's the seventh grade teacher in me. Is everybody clear what I would like them to try to do in the month? If you're clear, give me a thumbs up. If you're shady and need more directions, give me one in the middle. If you're like, heck with you, I'm not doing it, give me a thumbs down just so we know. All right, so give me, a, give me a flavor here. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, as the church, my dream and my goal would not be that we would be known for all of our programs and all of our wonderful things, um, but that we would be known for not being known because our people are just really good at hospitality. And so all kinds of life change and life differences would be going on and all kinds of things would be happening in our lives. Significant things would be happening in our lives because something would be happening while we were practicing hospitality that we never could have imagined because we might actually be hosting angels. And on the same token, something significant would be happening in the lives of others. And they might not even know that it was New Hope Church. But it was a church because it was a gathering as a group of people that had the audacity to think that the Holy Spirit would show up in that moment and they gathered. I would love for us to be a, a place that practiced hospitality. I'll be the first to let you know that I used to be really good at practicing hospitality. I've gotten a little less good at it because I've taken on a new job and my plate's too full. And that I need to start the example myself. But please, take one step and then after you take that step, take that step again until you get some courage and then take the next step and the next step. And maybe we could put love into action and practice hospitality like the Apostle Paul asks us and practice hospitality like God in flesh and blood demonstrated us to us in the person of Jesus. We are the church. A. Let's practice hospitality. God... Give us the courage and the wisdom and the grace uh, to be a people of hospitality. God, um, help us to be disciplined, to not manipulate such a teaching for new programs and, 
and new systems, um, but really as a call to individually show hospitality, to individually invite some people to the table or for coffee or to do something, um, to make room for them, uh, to bring them in, to have time for them, uh, to go beyond how, how's it going and to have intimate discussions and relationships. God, when we uh, practice hospitality, uh, even if we don't know it, would you do something significant? Um, would you let us host angels, even if we're unaware of it? In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise if you're willing and we'll close with the song.